We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson. Thanks, Rob, and welcome to a new episode of the Sox Machine Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Nelson, and it's Thursday night, December 14, 2023, as we bring you a new episode. Today, Shohei Otani was officially introduced by the Los Angeles Dodgers, While most of the baseball media world was at his press conference in L.A., the Dodgers didn't stop working. They completed a deal acquiring starting pitcher Tyler Glasnow from the Tampa Bay Rays. One would think that would take another team out of the Dylan C. sweepstakes, but the Dodgers seem to be on a warpath this offseason and trying to build a mega team. Must be nice. While I'm jealous of Dodgers fans, both Detroit and Kansas City keep adding starting pitchers. The Royals signed former San Diego Padres starter Seth Lugo to a three-year, $45 million contract. Detroit retorted with a signing of Jack Flaherty, Lucas Giolito's ex-high school teammate and friend, to a one-year, $14 million contract plus incentives to pair with Kenta Maeda. Throw in the White Sox signing Eric Fitty, and that's all the free agent work this offseason from the American League Central. Is this division more up in the air than we thought? Let's discuss. Joining me is the managing editor of SoxMachine.com. It's Jim Margulis. And hello, Jim. Must be great being a Dodgers fan these days. Yeah, I guess as long as you're not hung up on winning a World Series that everybody can celebrate, uh, you know, in person, up close, I think uh, it is pretty nice. Must be pretty good for the bloggers and podcasters and whatnot who have plenty of uh, fun stuff to discuss. And you really only have to worry about like having disappointment and angry fans around like September and October when you're when they're lining things up for a postseason run, and then usually not seeing the job all the way through in October and lots of Dave Roberts second guessing, but like, yeah, this is uh, basically when they shine uh, when it comes to, you know, off season additions, constantly adding demoralizing the NL West. And yeah, it's, it must be nice to have that kind of prospect depth to deal from the uh, resources financially to 
you know, work with, even if you do have to contend with the luxury tax here and there. And uh, yeah, the White Sox don't have either of those. And that's, I think, what, uh, you know, makes it really hard to imagine is like, uh, it's kind of like, you know, when we talk about Shohei Otani and like, how can he pitch and hit and be fast? Like, that's what kind of, you know, blows my mind is how fast he is along with everything else. And it's just like, that's kind of the Dodgers. Uh, They're moneyed and they have a ton of prospect depth and they're just, uh, they're smart too. So they have it all going on. And yeah, it's uh, when you talk to Jimmy Pardo, when he's on our show, just, I, I don't know how he's not a Dodgers fan, just like, you know, full <laughs> bore, like living in Los Angeles for, you know, 20 years, uh, however long he's lived there. And just, you're there. It, like you have the, you have a family there. Your son can follow Dodgers. You can say like, yeah, well, me and my son are Dodgers fans now, but uh, yeah, God bless him for uh, still sticking with the White Sox and appearing on our show. If we were Dodgers machine, we would be ridiculously busy this week. You know, like just the amount of activity the Dodgers are doing this offseason, which is the complete opposite from last offseason, where the Dodgers, in a way, were hand-tied with the Trevor Bauer situation, not fully knowing how much money that they owed Bauer as they were trying to get out of that contract. And ultimately, they lost out on that and they had to pay out Bauer the rest of that agreement. And while it prevented the Dodgers from making any moves last year, we talked about this a year ago, Jim, that I guess the silver lining is we know the Dodgers are going to be quite active next year in the off season. It would show Otani being a free agent a year in advance. Like everybody could see the writing on the wall. The Dodgers were going to be very serious. And of course, today is the day that they introduce Otani in a Dodgers uniform and they continue to be aggressive in acquiring Tyler Glass now. And if you didn't see the trade, or this is the first that you're hearing of it. So what the Dodgers are receiving is Glass now and outfielder Manuel Margot. The Rays are receiving pitcher Ryan Pepiat and outfielder Johnny DeLuca. Now, Pepiat was good in 2023. In eight games for the Dodgers, he made three starts. He was worth 1.3 war, according to baseball reference, in just 42 innings. That's pretty impressive. With a 2.14 ERA, when he made starts for the AAA affiliate for the Dodgers in Oklahoma City, he had a sub-3 ERA. So very impressive, and there's no doubt that he's probably going to be an all-star for the Rays. Uh, DeLuca last year, 42 at-bats, so really small sample size. The trade is contingent on a contract extension for Glassnow, which multiple reports from national reporters are suggesting will happen. So this is just not a one-year fix-it for the Dodgers with Tyler Glass now. They're going to have Tyler Glass now for multiple seasons. So with this particular trade, Jim, does the Dodgers acquiring Glass now now take them out of the Dylan C sweepstakes? I don't know if it takes them out and makes them, I think, a little less desperate. The thing with Glass now, I, you know, I get his appeal. Like when he pitches you know, he's among the toughest pitchers in either league. So I get why he's coveted uh, by so many teams and why the Rays did so well, you know, when he was a part of the rotation. The thing that kind of I get hung up on if I'm the Dodgers and I'm trying to piece together a rotation that will hang together by September and October and not leave them in a position like they were last year with Kershaw out and needing Lance Lynn to make a postseason start is like glass now is only thrown 120 innings. That's his max. And he's only did this past year. So he's not really 
a, you know, somebody you can count on for pitching five full months, six full months of a season being in full working order in October. Whereas like Dylan Cease, I think his best argument is that he never uh, misses a start. He always takes the ball on schedule. Uh, you know, he's a little bit more erratic than Glass now. I think Glass now, like start for starts, is a better pitcher. But that only goes so far when you're making like 12 starts in a year, 15, 18 versus 32, 32, 33, the way Cease goes basically uh, leading the league every year in that category. So that's why like I can see them being like, we got our top end starter. We have, uh, you know, we don't need the multiple year uh, commitments or the 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 promise that Cease offers and having two years of control if they extend Glass now, so they don't have to give up as much or meet a price. But when you look at Glass now's history missing time, it still does seem like they could use somebody who's a better bet for like 160 to 180 innings, which Cease definitely is. Yeah, Pepiet. So what the Rays are getting for Glass now, Pepiet would be in the White Sox starting rotation if the White Sox made a similar deal and. Talent-wise, he might be the best talent in that starting rotation, again, if this deal was for Cease. But I get what the Dodgers are doing here by taking on Manuel Margot's $10 million contract, and there's a mutual option with a $2 million buyout next year. It lessens the prospect return back to Tampa. And in a way, the Dodgers are doing the Rays a big favor. Unfortunately, the Rays are losing this stud pitcher in Tyler Glasnow, which, to your point... When he pitches, he's excellent, but that's been the big question is when has Glass now pitched and the Dodgers are going to need him to get 150 innings this year uh, to make this deal worthwhile and a contract extension worthwhile. But from the Rays' perspective, they cut $35 million from their payroll this upcoming season, which I believe now hits their financial goal that they needed to get under. Maybe they could turn around, make some small additions, but... The Rays needed to cut payroll, and in one move, they cut what they needed to in this offseason to appease their owners. So by taking on Margot's contract, again, Ryan Pepiot would be the best White Sox pitcher in the starting rotation if he was involved in a Dylan Cease trade. He would be right in the starting rotation. But I don't think the White Sox, Jim, and maybe I'm putting myself into dangerous waters here, I don't think the White Sox are under the same financial restrictions as Tampa this upcoming offseason. But could another team try the Dodgers method of trying to trade for Cease while taking on another White Sox contract, say Eloy Jimenez? They could. It would just seem like such a waste. Like that depreciates Cease's value if you have to tack on somebody like Jimenez just because... Uh, yeah, maybe I can see a team being in on Jimenez like, oh, why not? If it saves us a prospect or it, you know, uh, allows them to go from like a grade B prospect to a grade C prospect on their secondary players, then, you know, it makes sense for a team saying, yeah, I mean, one year of Eloy, we know the upside. We know what he was like as a prospect. We know the White Sox are messed up. So sure, we'll, uh, you know, crack our knuckles and get to work on him and see if we can resuscitate his value. And if so, then there's three years of uh, potential value you have for him. But it just doesn't make sense, I think, from the White Sox perspective. Like, you don't trade Cease. Like, Cease is not a salary dump. You know, he's going to be making around if everything goes well and he maximizes his value this year for his final arbitration year next year. 
looking like two years and 25 million, which is Kenta Maedo, which is less of an average annual value than Jack Flaherty just signed for. That's about yeah, less than what Seth Lugo signed for. So like, you know, I, I think Cease's best, uh, the best argument for Cease is how he can help a team with any budgets fill out the rotation and fill out the top end of the rotation, fill out their potential postseason rotation. So to add somebody who costs money and is not that good of a value uh, on top of that would seem to diminish Cease's uh, you know, main selling point among all these starters, whether it's Glass now, Shane Bieber, et cetera, of having two years of team control and two, two years of affordable team control. That's why I put the preface on, I don't think the White Sox are the same financial restrictions. If they were, and we don't know for those listening, we don't know the White Sox are under the same budget cutting restrictions as the Tampa Bay Rays. If the White Sox were, then I could see it because then it's not so much, let's get the best possible trade or the best return. It's how do we cut the most money yeah. off of our payroll. That's what it feels like with the Rays here. Now, I think the Rays did well to get Pepiet and Johnny DeLuca. He's a fourth outfielder. I'm sure he'll have some big games for the Rays, but the Rays do get a young, controllable starting pitcher while shedding $35 million. But the fact that it's just the same recurring story with the Tampa Bay Rays, and I don't mean to pile on the Rays here, but it's just hard from the outside to see a franchise like this continue to operate in this model. Now watch them win 95 games in 2024. That's just the way the Rays are. But the fact that they have to cut payroll and try to maximize the best return possible to hit a number that's below $100 million in player payroll uh, is a bit disheartening from from the outside. I don't think the White Sox need to get below $100 million, Jim. <laughs> so I'm with you that Dylan Cease is to maximize a possible return to plug in multiple holes. We've had a podcast about this and what the White Sox need to get back for Dylan Cease. But... Again, I don't think the White Sox are in the same financial restrictions as Tampa. If they were, then maybe we would have to take this idea more seriously. Yeah, I think you're seeing like the restrictions take place with when it comes to like replacing Tim Anderson and Yasmani Grandal with Paul DeYoung and Max Stassi going from like a $32 million commitment to uh, $2 million. Good so point. I think there's, they're kind of cutting and burning already when it comes to players who are melting off the payroll, but you know, and they traded Aaron bummer who was, you know, not egregiously paid, but more expensive than a team needs to pay a $5.5 million reliever. You know, uh, Graveman's gone. Kelly is gone. Um, their bullpen is now like, went from being severely over-invested to being probably under-invested. And you'll probably see like a little bit of a tweak here and there to add a little bit of meat to it. But yeah, it's, uh, uh, I think they've, when it comes to slashing and burning, I think they've done that mostly. And then when you look at Moncada and Jimenez being, uh, you know, approaching their team options, like if they don't finish the job this year, next year is when it gets cheap. So like they have, just with a little bit of patience and with a little bit of, um, you know, I guess if they can avoid completely demoralizing the fan base by saying like, you know, we're, we're spending 90 million instead of 190 million. Uh, then I think uh, they're mostly done. It's really going to be more about a lack of adding versus severe reductions. I hope. 
I hope so too. Let's talk about some of the additions that are happening in the American League Central. It's not a lot of activity, but it's starting to make me wonder just how open the American League Central is in 2024. We'll talk about that next after a quick word from our sponsors. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Welcome back to the Sox Machine Podcast. While the Dodgers get richer, the Detroit Tigers added another intriguing arm to their starting rotation in signing Lucas Giolito's ex-high school teammate and friend Jack Flaherty to a one-year $14 million contract, there are some incentives that could push it up to $15 million. This signing comes a day after the Kansas City Royals signed starting pitcher Seth Lugo to a three-year $45 million contract to improve the Kansas City Royals starting rotation. Here's the free agent activity in the AL Central as of December 14th, 2023. Seth Lugo's contract is the largest so far, followed by Kenta Maeda getting $24 guaranteed million for the Tigers over the next two years. Eric Fetty is getting $15 million guaranteed from the White Sox over the next two years. And then Jack Flaherty is getting a guaranteed $14 million with another million possible in incentives. That's it. That's all the free agent activity so far. From the American League Central, nothing from the Minnesota Twins, nothing from the Cleveland Guardians. And Jim, I got to tell you, man, the American League Central is going to be lit, as the cool kids say, if this is all the free agent activity we're going to see. I think there's going to be more. It's almost like, 
you know, watching the Tigers add Maeda and then add Flaherty like a few weeks later, it's almost like they're trying not to alarm the Twins. And the Twins seem like they're cutting payroll. But, uh, you know, if you're a team like the Tigers or even the Royals, who shouldn't have been as bad as they were last year and should be adding because they basically bottomed out and they do have to, like, I, I think their front office is under some pressure to show that they can actually get some results. Probably Matt Quattraro as well. Like uh, after all the losing he incurred in his first year uh, that, you know, he can't have another year like that. So I think they're under pressure, but you know, given that the twins, you know, if it were not for Bally sports, I'm guessing would be adding because they are seeing an upswing. They did see a upswing in attendance and ratings and they do look to be, relatively unchallenged in the AL Central that, you know, if they are receding a little bit or seeing how much they can cut while still being projected to be on top, like it does make sense for a team like the Tigers to press and press and press a little bit, but like it almost seems like they're doing it very quietly. So they're hoping that like by, you know, spring training, your team's reports and the twins say like, wait, the Tigers got all those guys? Like, wouldn't that happen? Like, just, they did it very quietly. So they did not uh, poke the bear uh, to, you know, respond with moves. But that's kind of how it feels so far. It's just very stealthy. Um, but yeah, it's it's really a disappointing division. And, you know, like I said, Rick Hahn should be fired again. And Kenny Williams should be fired <laughs> again for just like, you know, having the Twins winning this division by default and not even being excited about it. Jim, it's the holidays. Let's not be mean. Let's not continue to hire and then fire Rick Hahn. Uh, <laughs> well, he's getting paid, right? Like he's under contract for one more year. So Who this knows? is like, hey, yeah, I don't know. We never knew what At his least. contract was. Well, that's what it was. I think with uh, Bob Nightingale, like when they started leaking that, that was kind of the uh, uh, foreshadowing that some job security was in doubt when you hear about like how long Kenny Williams and Rick Hahn are under contract for. So theoretically they get paid for, I think the next year, I, I think, and then uh, they're done. So uh, they did get fired with a little bit of time left, but yeah, it's, it's uh, um, yeah, he's doing fine. Yeah. All the guys that are still under contract then Rick Hahn, Kenny Williams, Tony, the Russa. He had a story about him in the Chicago. Sometimes he's not a decision maker, Jim. He's just an advisor. Mm -hmm. Back to the American League Central. Who do you think has the best starting rotation as of December 14, 2023 in this division? I think it's might be, I would say as is, I would say Minnesota, I think. Um, just because they do have that depth that's ready to step in. It's just more a matter of can they be tested for, or can they be trusted over a six-month test? Uh, I think the Tigers might have the most like long-term upside if everybody returns okay from injuries. Like they have my Scooble adding Maeda to that, adding Flaherty to that. Like it's rounding out the rotation rather nicely. I think it's just a matter of like if the guys that they had were counting on being horses uh, going into this rebuild, my Scooble, Manning, like if those young pitchers can deliver uh, – is it Madden is the other one? I'm trying to think of the other one who's... Reese Olsen made some starts last year. Yeah, Reece, Yeah. okay. So, yeah, they have a couple other guys, too, outside that for depth. I think as long as everybody can return from their various uh, Tommy John surgeries and other, other ailments, like, they have the potential to be better than the Twins. I think just having seen the Twins done it, uh, I think I would give them the slight edge. But I would not be sleeping on the Tigers right now when it comes to pitching. I think run scoring is going to be their bigger issue. 
Yeah, Casey Mize is going to be on an innings restriction. So the Tigers may actually roll with like a six-man rotation to start the season, knowing that Casey Mize can't take on a full workload as he recovers from Tommy John surgery. This is what I have for the Tigers rotation, like one through five. Scooball, Flaherty, Maeda. Let's put in Reese Olsen, and then number five, Matt Manning, and we'll throw in number six as well, Casey Mize. For the Minnesota Twins right now, Pablo Lopez, Joe Ryan, Bailey Ober, Louis Varland, and Chris Paddock. Now, I'm hoping Minnesota has some prospects that are ready to join the rotation from AAA. I like the Twins' top three, maybe a little more than the Tigers' top three, but I think this is more debatable now in the American League Central as far as the strength of the starting rotation. And I bring this point up because this is what has sunk the Twins in the past, especially when trying to repeat as American League Central champions, is they run out of starting pitching real quick. And when they run out of starting pitching, for whatever reason, the offense is not strong enough to pick it up. Mm -hmm. So I like what the Tigers are doing here, adding the veterans like Flaherty and Maeda. But, I mean, there's, a, of course, with Detroit, though, huge risk. Like, can these guys stay healthy? If the Tigers' rotation can stay healthy, that's a sneaky, strong starting rotation when you compare it to the other American League Central teams. Like, the Royals, Cole Reagans, I mean, Reagans was dominant, right? In the, especially in the second half uh, for the Royals. Now they add Seth Lugo, who I will slide in the second spot. Brady Singer, who knows? One day he strikes out 10 over six innings. The next start, he can't get through the third inning. Uh, Jordan Lyles, <laughs> sorry for laughing. Mm-hmm. And uh, Daniel Lynch, the guys that the White Sox can actually hit sometimes. And then the Guardians here, Shane Bieber, which sounds like he could be on his way out. Tristan McKenzie, we'll see on how he bounces back. Logan Allen, another guy that the White Sox can hit. Tanner Beebe, and then Gavin Williams. So the Guardians rotation doesn't look nearly as strong as it did in recent years. And then the White Sox, Cease, Fady, Soroka, Schuster, Kopech, maybe Tucson. The White Sox, out of the five teams, I don't know, even with Dylan Cease right now, are they fifth? Are they five out of five in starting rotation strength? I think so, probably because you can only name like two starters who might be counted on to be like in there the full year. Right. I think everybody else has at least three, right? Uh, <laughs> just looking at a paper, it's like, oh gosh, this looks a lot worse. That That's why, you know, bringing it back from the intro, is this division more open than we thought? Because we haven't seen a repeat winner since the Twins did it in 19 and 20 in the shortened season. They won the division by one game. Before that, the... Guardian slash Indians won it three straight years from 2016 to 2018. Typically, we, but we haven't seen a repeat division the last three years. The White Sox, of course, in 21, the Guardians in 22, and the Twins in 23. I'm just wondering, with the little activity that we have seen, and with the Tigers adding Kenta Maeda and Flaherty to the starting rotation, just how close are they to the Minnesota Twins right now? with the Twins losing out on Sonny Gray and other pieces in their cutting payroll. I feel like that gap is a lot narrower than it was 
before the offseason started, Jim. Yeah, it just, you know, I think the Tigers had pretty decent or at least surprisingly good run prevention last year due to the strength of their bullpen. The rotation was a little bit uh, hit or miss, but their bullpen was really good throughout the year. Surprisingly deep. Um, some guys that they were able to develop themselves, even after trading you know, a guy like Gregory Soto and then replacing him, Alex Lang stepping up. Uh, Jason Foley having a really good year. So they, they've been able to develop relievers uh, fairly well over the last couple of years and regenerate their bullpen. So that's been able to prop up a starting rotation that's been uh, disappointing on the whole. But like when you look at the disaster, it's really their offense that's just been a mess. And they've had some signs of life from Torkelson and uh, Riley Green and um, Kerry Carpenter. Like they, they've had some nice moments here and there. But when it comes to like the... Um, you know, guys who get on base, the guys who really make a lineup formidable versus like having a hot power streak that defines a week or two. And then they you know go cold again and get shut down by a really good starting pitching staff, you know, seeing the, the, the best three starters from another team and kind of disappearing. I think that's what vexes the Tigers still. So they've tried to solve that a little bit with Mark Hanna, who's like a really good on base guy, or at least, you know, he was, uh, you know, with the A's and, you know, he's kind of getting older. So I think they're hoping he can, you know, still bring some of that OBP skills, at least like in a platoon role to help out, to try to cut down their impatience. But I think, you know, when it look, you look at the offense and you look at what the uh, twins have been able to do offensively, I still think that's what defines the division. And it's more a matter of, I think the twins, like how much depth are they going to cut or how much are they going to be counting on like their front line and running into the White Sox problem of like, the 26-man roster looks okay. Like, the top five starters look okay. The lineup looks okay. But if one or two key injuries strike, all of a sudden everything's thrown into disarray because they've just lost their ability to, or, or they've they've had to promote every player of note to fill full-time spots. And now, because they're cutting payroll, uh, they can't use any of those guys for depth in case of emergency break glass type situations. They're all here and accounted for on day one. Yeah, the Twins last year scored 778 runs. That was 102 more runs than the second-best run-scoring team in the American League Central last year. And that was actually Kansas City. Kansas City scored the second-most runs in the American League Central last year, 676. So to your point, Jim, with the Tigers only scoring 661 runs last year, they really do need to increase their run production by 100 runs in 2024 to take them more serious as an American league central contender. But again, there's a part of me that's like 79 and 83 is going to win this division in 2024. And the way the tigers are currently built, I mean, they were 78 and 84 last year. Yeah. I could see the tigers finishing 79 and 83. Yeah. Uh, I, I think with the way the division might be like, I can see like maybe the twins or somebody being the white Sox 12 out of 13 games. And that's how they get over 500. <laughs> and if like you take those games away, all of a sudden they're uh, as bad as anybody else. But uh, to your point about the uh, run scored, whenever you looked up the uh, like bottom five offenses, or you, you looked at like, who's the worst in the league at this? It was like four AL central teams and the A's. Uh, we're always at the bottom, like, you know, strikeout rate, walk rate, lack of power, etc. cetera. Uh, it is surprising, though, like still looking at the standings that uh, the bottom run scoring teams in baseball. So A's were uh, at least in the American League, the A's are bringing up the rear. And then you had uh, the White Sox. 
then the Tigers, then the Guardians. But what keeps it from being like all four AL Central teams in a row is the Yankees at 673. Like, it's hard to believe nobody's been fired from the... I guess they've fired hitting coaches, but, uh, you know, when it comes to like, you know, Boone, Cashman, et cetera, that they still, you know, if you have all those resources and you have an offense that scores as many runs as like a an AL Central team that's nowhere close to the Twins uh, competing with them, uh, a lot of things had to go wrong at so many levels that it just, uh, you know, that's your company. Well, that's why they acquired Juan Soto, right? I... <laughs> Yep. Sure, Juan Soto's yeah, got that goes a long way. <laughs> he's helped everywhere he's been. Uh, the Yankees offense should be better. No, I just, when you look at the American League Central and just how, I, I don't want to say dismal, but maybe that is the right word. I wonder with the lack of activity, does that wake up Jerry Reinsdorf at all? Does Jerry Reinsdorf have the ability to change his mind, call Grisketz and say, Let's go in a different direction. You can be more aggressive. Target what, who you need to target. Maybe hold on to Dylan Cease. And let's see where we are in the first half. But if nobody else is going to spend serious cash, then sure, go go sign guys for $50, 60000000 million. And let's see if we can approve the team. Like For all the years that Jerry Reinsdorf has owned the White Sox, does he have that capability in him to change his mind now in the middle of the offseason? I don't think so uh, for multiple reasons. I think just, um, you know, more or less like just trusting everything he's told us about the way he operates and how little he cares. Like you just assume he's going to see that all the way through and leave room to be pleasantly surprised. But with the way they've gone about it, you know, um, you know, signing Paul DeYoung, trading for Nicky Lopez, uh, trading for Max Stassi, it does seem like a reset year and they're just shooting for defensive competence, getting games over with as quickly as possible. And none of those guys preclude other moves. Like if they, um, like, let's say they, they sign Paul DeYoung or whatever, and, and he's going to be their number one shortstop, you know, the, the most of the time shortstop over the course of the year, but then they trade for, uh, like Joey Ortiz or something like that from Baltimore. And all of a sudden he's your guy, or they just, you know, they, they somehow add, uh, and there's not even a free agent shortstop worth pursuing recently, <laughs> relatively speaking, but let's say like the equivalent of, uh, you know, Marcus Semyon type deal to where like that guy's still out there for cheaper may as well sign him. Like none of those guys are out there. I think that move the needle that much. And I think having seen, uh, the White Sox spend for Andrew Benintendi and get nothing for it. Like not even like one Jersey sale out of signing Benintendi, like no excitement whatsoever from doing that. I think he would just say like, yeah, what's the point, Chris, if you want to do that? Like, you know, we signed Benintendi. That was a waste of money. We signed, you know, blah, blah, blah. You know, what was that worth? And just, I can see him going into kind of full-blown nihilism and being like, not you know, not a penny until we don't have to pay Moncada anymore or not to pay Jimenez or fully flush out the rebuild core that they thought they had. But it's pretty uh, it's pretty depressing. And then when you see like Tony La Russa still hanging around, um, you know, just you just have to trust Jerry Reinsdorf, everything he's told you about the way he is like, don't let yourself like uh, I think if it if it tends to be, you know, or if it if he uh, ends up being somebody who wants to flip the switch, it's going to be haphazard and messy and screw things up the way like the Jeff Samarja offseason was like a year too soon for players who weren't that good. 
And I think they would just be that history repeating because when it comes to the White Sox, they always repeat themselves and the mistakes they make. And that would be the one is, uh, you know, it's a, it's a, the AL Central's bad, but in the market's not that good. So let's uh, just try to sign a bunch of decent at best players to not make a dent in a division that sucks. <laughs> I think that's kind of how I look at it. Yeah, I, because yeah, it, it is dependent on Jerry Reinsdorf because he controls the checkbook. But you have mostly a new front office. You, you have new guys that are advising Chris Getz. I don't know. I'm I'm opening up the I'm opening up the door that there could be a possibility. To your point, though, very unlikely that Jerry Reinsdorf wakes up and says, "Well, I know for sure he's not going to wake up and say, go sign Blake Snell." That's not happening. Uh, but I'm just wondering, like again, like seventy nine and eighty three, are the twin the twins were eighty seven and seventy five last year. Mm-hmm. Are they as good right now on paper as they were at the end of last season? No, I don't think so. Maybe 83-84 wins. Again, we have our best friend, Dan Zaborski. He's doing the Zips projections right now. The Royal Zips projections, oh man, they do not look good at all. And I'm wondering how they how Seth Lugo helps as far as their projection. Probably not a whole lot. I haven't seen the twins yet as far as the zips projection, but I, I'm curious in where they're going to land. Uh, it just, it, it really does seem like the AL central is for the taken. And if it's Detroit that ends up spending minimally 15 million here, 14 million there. And that's what turns the tie to win the American league central in 2024. That's like, bare minimum wins a division and that's the complete opposite of what we are seeing out west right now with the los angeles dodgers and even the san francisco giants throwing a hundred plus million at a korean outfielder and we'll see Mm -hmm. if uh they can make that transition it's just yeah the dichotomy is just on complete different ends of the spectrum right now what we are seeing in other divisions and the American League Central. Like, there's a part of me that's like, just demote the American League Central to the International League at this point, if this is the way it's going to be. I think the White Sox, like mentioning the uh, you know new front office they have, I think this would be the year that they say, like, let's see how smart we are. Let's see, like, when it comes to the secondary players we acquire in deals, uh, the prospects we have and are identifying as, like, guys who are expect to be fixtures for whatever the next core is going to be. Um, free agent signings, non-roster invitees like Brian Bannister, Josh Barfield, etc. cetera. Uh, like somebody like Johnny DeLuca in the uh, Dodgers deal going to the Rays. Like when I saw him mentioned in some off-season plan projects as uh, players to help fill out a trade package for Dylan Cease. Like he's somebody... 25 years old, 26, blocked, you know, kind of like a late bloomer, older college guy who's clicked in the pros, decent uh, pro debut, may never stand out enough to be like successful enough to uh, hang in the Dodgers organization, but can fill out a White Sox outfield. Like I can see this year being spent on a lot of those types of players, Uh, players who are blocked, players who need to be dusted off, players who are injured. And just seeing like whether Getz and Barfield and Bannister, if they have a better eye or more resources, better contacts to help uh, 
use these plate appearances and innings they have to develop a couple guys who will be cheap starters for the next three to four years. That seems to me to be the best use of this season, and that's why I think they're trying to uh, you know, patch up some positions with guys who at least have gloves so that helps the pitchers out on that front. And then if they you know, manage to find a couple bats or if Colson Montgomery or Brian Ramos are, are up faster than anticipated, then they can say like, well, Paul DeYoung, you don't mind being a bench guy, right? Because he signed for $1.5 million and we're happy to have a job. So like, you can you know, still be our, our utility infielder now versus our starting shortstop. Like that's kind of how I see them approaching this year, and I think the you know talking about uh, in a PO Sox mailbag what constitutes a success for Chris Getz, I think a successful 2024 is something that makes it very clear how they go about their business in 2025 of stepping on the gas pedal, like having enough lined up to be like, uh, here's where we need to add because. Uh, these guys are set and we have enough options for these positions to rotate through some guys until somebody sticks. Like that's kind of how I look at it. So 2024 really does seem to be an audition year and a generous uh, runway year for younger players and players who might be able to help for cheaper and not force the White Sox to have to spread so much uh, free agent money around to cover so many holes, which never seems to work, but that's always their position they're in. So you're telling me after this season, the White Sox are totally going to sign Juan Soto. Yeah. I mean, like it's, Not it's uh, well now that the deferred money options are yeah. there, like, like I said, last, last episode, uh, just sign up to a $500 million contract to defer 400 million of it. Future, future yeah. White Sox owner issue. Although I think, uh, you know, you know, a lot of the money has to go into escrow. Uh, so it's not just money they have around to spend on, uh, you know, it's more the luxury tax, I think, flexibility than anything else. But, um, yeah, it's just luxury tax never appeal, uh, applies to the White Sox. So why would it start now? <laughs> That's a good point. That's a good point. I mean, I'm sorry, folks. I was trying to find maybe a silver lining of optimism maybe the White Sox could change their mind because, again, we're not seeing a lot of activity in the American League Central. Right now, it's a lot of Kansas City and Detroit. The White Sox are part of that list, and we'll see what Minnesota and Cleveland does. There's still a lot of offseason left to go. There are still some big names out there, but nobody in the American League Central is tied to those big names. So, again, yeah. the bare minimum is what's going to be in 2024 for this entire division. Yeah, I think the biggest rumor I've seen is Marcus Stroman in the Royals. I mean, and that helps. It helps. Yeah. It's just the question is like, given the way Stroman finished last year, like, is he that good or that sturdy to be, you know, what the Royals need? And because you know, I think the Royals, like they need somebody like him, but they also need somebody like him to hit on his like 60th, 70th percentile outcome to really make the dent. And if he kind of disappears the way he did last year with the injury and just kind of the murky situation of coming back from that injury, I can see it being like a, just kind of a waste opportunity, but that's the one I'm keeping in the eye on in terms of like, well, that would be pretty serious. Like if they add Lugo and then they add on somebody who is probably likely to cost more than Lugo on, at least on an average annual value basis, like then they become, you know, uh, I wouldn't say a threat, but at least like respectable, which they were not last year uh, along with the White Sox who were not respectable. Yeah. I mean, then you go with Cole Reagan, Seth Lugo and Marcus Stroman. And now Brady Saner's your number four starter in that Royals rotation. And 
let's say it's two years, $45 million to sign someone like Marcus Stroman. The Royals could say we spent $90 million on two starting pitchers to, to make the rotation better. That's not a lot of money, especially when Yamamoto and all these guys, Snell, Nola, Montgomery, they're going to sign way more than $90 million. But for the Royals, that's serious cash for them, and that would be a lot more cash than anyone else is spending in the American League Central. So, again, if I'm a Twins fan, I'm pissed right now. That's what I'll just say. Like, they should be more serious. Like, there should be no reason why they don't repeat as AL Central champs. But with everything that's been reported out of Minneapolis, that they're cutting payroll and they're just going to roll with what they had at the end of last season. Like, there's some potential offensively. But, I mean, yeah, again, the door's open. Let's see if anybody wants to kick it down in the American League Central and try to take take this division by storm. Uh, meanwhile, I'm sure the Dodgers will make another trade or they'll sign Blake Snell. Why not? Why not? Let's just way, let's go way past the luxury tax threshold. Let's build the best damn team possible. Oh, I'm not, I'm not envy at all. Uh, that will do it for this episode of the Sox machine podcast. Thank you guys so much for listening. And again, if any breaking news does happen, Make sure to visit the website at SoxMachine.com and follow us on social media. We're on all the social media platforms at SoxMachine. You can follow me there as well at SoxMachine underscore Josh. If you just discovered the Sox Machine podcast, you can subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts such as Spotify and Apple Music. We also upload our podcast into our YouTube channel at YouTube.com slash SoxMachine. Uh, funny story. I broke my webcam on the way back from Nashville in the winter meeting, so I have to buy a new webcam. Great time to buy Josh himself. I'm speaking to third person. Uh, a new webcam. So we'll have more videos coming up on our YouTube channel in a moment. But if you're wondering, hey, what happened to the live streams? Uh, I need a new camera. We'll get those live streams back. And again, you can subscribe to our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash If you enjoy our work and you want more, or if you want to help buy Josh a webcam, uh, you can do so at patreon.com slash where our Patreon supporters get exclusive content like the P.O. Sox mailbag that Jim alluded to. They also get ad-free versions of both the podcast and the website. And we have Sox Machine events like the curling event we're going to host in February. Our Patreon supporters are able to participate. We also have some open spots as well in our Veterans Committee. Our VC acts like our de facto board of directors and they advise us on some of the key decisions that we make behind the scenes and operating sock machine so again if you enjoy your work and you want more you can get more by signing up at patreon.com slash socks machine the socks machine podcast is a production of SoxMachine.com. you're on for all things chicago white Sox baseball and part of the blue wire podcast network alongside jim margulis i'm josh nelson thanks for listening and watching For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.